iTunes presents Meet the Author. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and uh, welcome back to the Apple Store Soho for our latest installment of Meet the Author. This exciting series brings the hottest authors of some of the season's biggest books here for a chance to share their latest works with you and participate in discussion with you, the audience. Uh, tonight, we're pleased to have best-selling author A.J. Jacobs discussing what it takes to understand the mysteries of modern life, from love to work to fame. In his latest book, The Guinea Pig Diaries, A.J. becomes a human guinea pig and immerses himself in a series of radical lifestyle experiments. To figure out how to reclaim his dignity, he follows George Washington's 110 Rules of Life. To explore fame, he goes undercover as a movie star. To investigate dating, he becomes a single woman. Before I introduce tonight's uh, special guest, I want to let everyone know that tonight's event is being recorded for a special Meet the Author podcast that you can download along with AJ's new audiobook from the iTunes Store. Um, moderating tonight's special event is the producer of the audiobook, um, Travis Tun. Uh, so at this time, please join me in welcoming them both, AJ Jacobs and Travis Tun. Hello, thank you so much for coming. Uh, it's great to be here. And uh, uh, as you might have heard, this was being recorded for a podcast, which I'm very excited about. I just started listening to podcasts, and here's a little tip for you that's changed my life. I listen to them on double speed, so I can listen to a Fresh Air episode in half an hour. Terry Gross sort of has a chipmunk-like quality to her voice, but it's, uh, it's incredible. So I won't be insulted if uh, anyone listens to this on double speed or triple speed, whatever you want. Uh, I am here to talk about my new book, The uh, Guinea Pig Diaries. Uh, but first I thought... Uh, just to give you a little context, I'll tell you what I like to write, uh, the, the type of books uh, that I like to write. And basically, I like to undertake these radical self-improvement projects uh, because uh, I figure my life needs a lot of improving. Uh, so when I... Uh, uh, after I graduated college, I felt that my IQ was dropping. It was uh, sort of doing a bel belly flop, about one IQ point a year. So I decided to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z in an attempt to uh, reclaim my intelligence. Uh, and uh, so I did. I read it from AAC, which is the first word, uh, which is a type of East uh, Asian, a type of ancient Korean music, uh, and and the f I read it all the way to the final word, which is Zivyek, which is uh, spelled Z Y W I E C, and that one. Well, I don't want to tell you what it is because it'll ruin the ending, the exciting ending of the uh, the book. A little twist, oh hen. Well, I'll tell you, it's a um, it's a town in Poland, uh, which has very good beer, by the way. I, and I loved that year. It was fascinating. I learned an amazing amount of, uh, of information. And, uh, you know, I got a little too enthusiastic. I would start to insert these 
random facts into conversation and and my wife started to find me one dollar for every irrelevant fact that uh that popped out of my mouth but you know i just couldn't you know i would say oh uh opossums have 13 nipples boom there's a you know another dollar or uh rene descartes had a fetish for cross-eyed women you know uh i i just couldn't contain myself and and uh and I've forgotten most of what I read in the encyclopedia, but uh, maybe 97, 98%. But there's still 2 or 3% rattling it around in there, and, uh, and I can't get it out. It's actually, uh, it's like a sickness. Whatever I see, it sort of sparks something in my brain. So I'll see a... Uh, a cat, and I'll think of how the Egyptians made mummies of their cats, but they also made mummies of the mice, so the cats would have something to eat in the afterlife. So uh, that's the kind, it, it still has a, an effect on me. And, uh, and it, I did, I think, come out of it a little more optimistic, because I read about the highs and the lows of humanity, and on balance, I felt that the highs outweighed the lows. Uh, so overall, it was a very life-affirming experience. After that, I figured, what else could I do? What other book could I take on besides the encyclopedia? And the only one that I thought could rival it is the Bible. So I decided to spend a year trying to live according to the Bible. Uh, I did this because I had no religion growing up. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian, so not very. But, the, uh, but I, I wanted to learn what would happen if you take every single rule of the Bible literally without picking and choosing. So not just the famous ones, not just the Ten Commandments uh, uh, and love your neighbor, but also the one, you know, don't shave the corners of your beard. And I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow, and it was, you know, down to the middle of my chest. And uh, I spent a lot of time at airport security, uh, uh, and and uh, just uh, other strange rules like don't uh, wear clothes made of mixed fiber. Why would God care about that? But I felt the only way to know would be to actually try it. So I did. I uh, I tried. Uh, the hundreds of obscure laws. And that one also changed my life for the better. You know, I, after the year, I, I shaved my beard and uh, I went back to wearing clothes made of mixed fibers. I, uh, I stopped stoning adulterers. But I did, uh, I did, you know, I try to keep the Sabbath and, uh, and it's also given me a sense of gratitude that I never had before. So, uh, so that's what I like to do. And, and, and this book is uh, a collection of other radical self-improvement uh, experiments. This one is sort of a, uh, uh, a collection of month-long or two-month-long experiments. I felt I needed a little break from the year-long experiments. Uh, so I thought I'd tell you very quickly about three of them. And then uh, Travis, who uh, produced the audio book of... Uh, of my book, I uh, would ask a couple of questions and then we would open it up to you guys. Uh, so the first one I thought I'd talk about is, uh, is something called Radical Honesty. And this is a movement that was founded by one of my favorite characters of all time. His name is Brad Blanton. And he's, uh, he, he lives in Virginia. He's a psychologist. He calls himself uh, 
a redneck with a Ph.D., and uh, he's got a big belly and a big laugh, uh, and his philosophy is that we should never, ever lie. But more than that, whatever's on our brain should come out of our mouth, which is like, you know, no filter, which is absolutely an insane way to live. Uh, but he does it. He does it, and, uh, and he claims that it's better for you, that your life will have incredible highs and your life will have incredible lows, but at least you will be living an authentic life. And I was intrigued by this, so I went to visit him, and it was the most bizarre interview of my life and of my 20 years as a journalist because, you know, first of all, uh, I could ask him any question I wanted, and, and he had to answer it. And, and in fact, it would almost be an insult not to ask him the question. So, uh, you know, I asked about his sex life. He was happy to tell me, maybe a little too much. Uh, I, uh, whenever I, I found him boring, I would say, oh, you know, you're boring me. He'd say, oh, great, thank you very much. He, um, it turned out he also believed that, uh, that hiding things was a lie. So he would uh, fart openly, he would pick his nose, and uh, he, would, uh, he would burp. Uh, he had about uh, five uh, whiskeys during the course of our interview. Uh, and by the, by the way, he has been married five times. So that gives you a little insight into how this works for, for marriage. Uh, but at the same time, there is something to be said for radical honesty. There's something liberating about it. Uh, and so I did try it. And, and there were horrible, horrible points to it. Uh, I remember uh, my wife and I went to a restaurant and, uh, and her friends came over, she, these acquaintances that she had known in college. And they said, uh, I had never met him, but they said, oh, this is, you know, it's so great to see you. Uh, we should all get together. And d because I was doing radical honesty, I had to tell him, well, you know, I, uh, you seem like nice people, but... I have no interest in uh, seeing you again so, because, uh, you know, I, I have the friends that uh, I have, I, my old friends, I don't have time to see them, and uh, so thanks, but no thanks. And this was not uh, well received. They were, uh, they didn't know what to do. My wife was glaring at me. So it certainly had its, uh, it, its problems, but it also had its uh, advantages. I remember... Uh, I was having lunch with a friend of mine, and he was talking about, uh, I, I decided to tell him uh, that I was insulted that he didn't invite me to his upcoming wedding. And, and usually I would just gloss over that fact, but I was doing radical honesty. And he said, well, you didn't invite me to your wedding. And I said, really? I thought I had. And uh, it was sort of this breakthrough moment, like, well, all right. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we sort of bonded over that, and, and my resentment faded away. So uh, I would say that there are incredible dangers to it, uh, but also incredible uh, benefits. And I try to practice now sustainable radical honesty. So I, I don't tell people, uh, you know... Uh, uh, I, I still do white lies, but I, I'm very, I try to be honest about myself. So if I screw up, then I say, you know, uh, that's it. I screwed up. I don't try to come up with excuses. Uh, 
And when this was originally an article in Esquire magazine, and it was kind of a dangerous article to write because when the article came out, people were like, you know, I felt that they had the license to tell me whatever they thought radically honest. So they'd be like, ah, you have terrible posture. You know, you have a mole on your nose. I'm like, all right, thank you very much. Uh, but, uh, uh, but overall, the, the response was, was positive. So, um, so that was one of the experiments I put in the book. Uh, a second experiment uh, I'll briefly discuss is... Uh, is the month that I tried to avoid multitasking. And this one came about because I was, uh, multitasking almost killed me. I was driving with my wife, and we were going to a wedding, and my, uh, we were listening to a book on tape. Sorry about this, Travis. This is <laughs> I hope this doesn't reflect badly on the audio industry. But we were listening to a fascinating book, uh, Walter Isaacson's Einstein Biography. And, uh, and I got so wrapped up in it that I forgot about the road. And I sort of drifted and, uh, out of my lane. I dr and, and then I, I lost control of the vehicle and we jumped the highway median into oncoming traffic. And my wife said, uh, no one was hurt, but uh, my wife has since banned me from driving, and uh, now I have to, uh, you know, sit in the back seat with the kids. But, uh, but, uh, but it also uh, made me realize I've got to do something about multitasking because, you know, it may seem like a, a little thing, multitasking, but I have, after reading a all the research on it, I do think that it's... It's the 11th plague. It's going to kill us all. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's making us dumber. Uh, it's making us less moral. Um, uh, the, one of the books argues it's bringing us into the dark ages. And, you know, that's probably an exaggeration, but it, it really is a, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's a, a major, major problem. And, and you've probably read all the articles about texting while driving and how that's worth, worse than drunk driving. So I decided to try to give up multitasking for a month. And it was fascinating because not only changed my behavior, but it changed the way I thought. Uh, and it sort of slowed me down and, uh, and, and made me more aware and, and, and I think a happier person. Uh, the, and, and there were strategies that I used. Uh, uh, you know, I, I felt that I, I would try to talk on the phone, just talk on the phone. When was the last time people talked on the phone, you know, in 1958, you know, that usually it's, uh, you're, you're sending email or you're, uh, you're mopping the floor, but you should try just talking on the phone one time. I did it. The only way I could do it was to blindfold myself because there were just too many distractions. So I did that and, uh, and it turned out to be amazing. The quality of the conversation was, was radically different. Uh, so I, I did that. I did. I, I literally tied myself to my desk chair because it was uh, impossible impossible to resist the temptation to get up unless I was literally tied down. So uh, so there are many strategies, and and this one uh, I I also try to keep. You know, I'm back to multitasking, but hopefully not as much. Uh, finally, I'll I'll just talk quickly about uh, an experiment I did to end the book. And this one was called Whipped. Uh, or uh, it was about uh, my wife. 
because I, uh, I had put her through all of this, uh, all, all these difficult situations during my various projects. Uh, during the Bible, for instance, uh, there's part to the Bible that says you cannot touch a woman during certain times of the month. And if you really take it's, it literally, you cannot sit on a seat where a woman in her time of month has sat. And my wife found this offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment during that year, and I was forced to stand. So, uh, but all these, all these readers were writing in saying that I need to pay back my wife and that I should do it by spending a month of following everything she said. Uh, so that is what I decided to do. And uh, in some ways it was a horrible month, but in some ways it was incredibly enlightening. Uh, she... Uh, she, uh, by the end, uh, I, I won't go into too much detail, but, uh, but there is something called a male chastity belt, which I never knew about until, <laughs> until this project. Uh, it comes in, by the way, three varieties, uh, clear plastic, wood paneled, and, uh, and camouflage, if you want to be really sneaky. Uh, but, uh, Reading about the history of marriage was, was one of the more uh, enlightening parts of this project because marriage uh, through the centuries, uh, as you might have noticed, is not a very democratic institution. Uh, you know, basically the wife was, was barely better than a servant in centuries past. And it was fascinating to see that being a henpecked husband, as they say, was, it wasn't just an embarrassment, it was illegal. You, if, if your wife had undue influence over you, if your wife was in charge in colonial times, that was, uh, uh, I don't know whether it was a misdemeanor or a felony, but they would, uh, they would strap you naked to the back of a donkey and ride you around town to humiliate you. So this was, uh, uh, you know, to, to reverse the gender roles, uh, if I had done this in the, in the 19th, 18th century, I would be in a lot of trouble. Uh, but, uh, but again, it, was, it, it, it opened my eyes to quite a bit. Uh, one of the things was that these, these 19th century roles in marriage you know, ha persist. Even, if, even in, uh, I, you know, I thought I had a relatively equal marriage, but, uh, but I, <laughs> I didn't. I, the average marriage, uh, the man does... Uh, the woman does three times the amount of housework as the man, even if uh, they both have full-time jobs. And uh, I, I sort of thought I was doing about half of, of the work around the house. But when we quantified it, I realized, no, that's not true. My wife is doing about two or three times as much. Uh, you know, as she put it, the, uh, the liquid soap bottles do not just magically refill themselves. Uh, and uh, in one sense, this has made my life much, much worse because now I have to do a lot more around the house. But I think overall it's better for our marriage. Uh, or at least I, I tell myself that because uh, <laughs> I, lo I lost a lot of ground during that, uh, during that experiment. Uh, anyway, there were many other experiments that I'm happy to talk about. But... Uh, but it was a wonderful, wonderful book to work on because I felt like I was 
I got to plunge into a fascinating new topic uh, uh, nine or ten times over the course of, uh, of a year and, and really just um, learn about it and learn how it can, uh, can improve lives. Uh, so with that, maybe I'll open it up to any questions Travis might have and then any questions you guys might have. Okay. Can, is this thing working? Uh, oh, wow. Fabulous. Hi, I'm Travis. Just I'm Travis Tun. I worked on the produced the uh, audiobook for uh, Guinea Pig Diaries here with AJ. Um, so I guess I mean, I guess in relation to that, can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like the experiment of uh, recording the audiobook? Or do you have any? <laughs> well, the uh, recording the audiobook I I enjoyed. I actually um, I recorded the book about the year of living biblically, and uh, that one was was more difficult for me because. At times, I had to read passages of the, of the Bible, and I tried to take on the voice of God, and I don't have a very godly voice. It was sort of a uh, nasal God. So uh, that, that didn't work out well. This one I felt a little more comfortable with. Plus, my wife got to, uh, she wrote a rebuttal in the book. Uh, that's the last chapter, sort of her take on things. And she got to record uh, part of uh, part, you know, her chapter, and so she had a great time with that, and is and is better than I am at at doing these kinds. She of She definitely things. had quite a flair for. It. <laughs> so, how do you come up with all of these experiments? Is there? I'm sure there's people that suggest stuff to you all the time, but what's the uh, what's the vetting process? Well, that's true. I do get a lo a huge number of suggestions, and some of them are great, and some of them are not. Uh, you know, my brother-in-law, who's sort of my nemesis in, in some of the other books, he recommended that uh, I become a eunuch for a year, that I uh, castrate myself. Uh, that one seemed more like a lifetime commitment, so I decided to pass on that one. Uh, but there are, are some others. You know, the final one of the book about following what my wife says was, was generated from readers. Uh, I, I try to do topics I'm most... Uh, fascinated with and passionate about. So if I become interested in a topic like outsourcing, when I read Tom Friedman's book on outsourcing, I became interested and I said to myself, well, how can I take this to the extreme and see how it affects my life? So I decided to outsource my entire life. So I, uh, I hired a team of people in Bangalore, India, uh, and they did everything for me. So they answered my phone and answered my emails and they argued with J my wife Julie for me. They read bedtime stories to my son. So uh, that was, by the way, one of the greatest months of my life because I just sat back and, and watched movies and read books. So, uh, so it's a lot of what I'm interested in and then just trying to take it to the extreme and see what happens. It sounds like a great, great month to have everyone do that for you. <laughs> uh, so, in that vein, what's the uh, what? What would you say is the the experiment that's taught you the most that you is stuck with you? Well, uh, I think a few. Certainly, the Bible book uh, uh, taught me a huge amount. Uh, like, uh, especially as I mentioned about gratitude. You know, I was 
the Bible talks about how you have to say prayers of thanksgiving all the time. And I got carried away. So I was saying dozens of prayers of thanksgiving every day. And I would be thankful for the most absurd little things. So I would press the elevator button and I would say a prayer of thanksgiving. Oh, I'm glad the elevator arrived. You know, I'd get in the elevator and I'd say, you know, I'd be thankful that the elevator didn't plummet to the basement and kill me. You know, uh, and it, it was... It was hundreds of things a day, and it was a weird way to live, but it was also, there was something wonderful about it, because you start to realize there are hundreds of things that go right every day, and, uh, and you should focus on those instead of f focusing on the three or four that go wrong, because there's always going to be things that go wrong. So uh, which, uh, which experiment was the one you most wanted to end the quicket? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, there were a few. There was one where I did, um, I posed nude, which was not really uh, in my comfort zone. Uh, I, this one came about because I work at Esquire magazine, and we, uh, my editor wanted to do a uh, pictorial of the actress Mary Louise Parker. And she said that, and, and he wanted to do it nude. Uh, and she said that she would do that, but only if the editor of the piece also posed nude. And I happened to be the editor, so my boss told me to uh, take off my clothes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a very disconcerting experience being photographed naked. Uh, because you are naked, and everyone else in the room is not naked. So it's a little bit odd. Uh, even worse for my ego was that there were all these attractive young photography assistants and, and they had n absolutely no interest in my naked form whatsoever. I could have been like a wicker table. So it was sort of a little sense of uh, uh, a little blow to my ego there. And I, I was ready for that to end. I could totally understand that. <laughs> um, so I don't know if we have a microphone out for the audience or something, but we could throw some questions out to the audience here. But uh, maybe while we get that set up... Um, which one of these experiments, because it seems like these are all things that, you know, you're, you're an average guy and, you know, these are things that you can just, you know, kind of subject yourself to on a whim. What, are there any of these experiments that you think that other people should indulge in? I do. I mean, I don't think you need to, to do it to the extreme, but I think that, I just think in terms of, of living, one of the best ways to improve your life is to do some sort of experiment with it, uh, even if it's... Uh, if it's just a little, it gets you out of the rut. And uh, and the neuroscientists I talk to talk about how it, it sort of gets the dopamine flowing in your brain, the pleasure drug. You've got to go do novel things to, to stimula stimulate your brain. So, I, I mean, I would recommend trying not to multitask. Um, there was a month I tried to be the most rational person alive, and I analyzed every single decision I made. And I realized it was shocking how many irrational decisions I make or how much, I, how much of my life was just based on inertia and laziness. Like, uh, just think about your, your toothpaste. You know, I, my, I chose my toothpaste when I was like 12 years old in camp because some, some guy in my bunk, you know, was brushing with Colgate. So I decided to brush with Tol Colgate. Uh, and I've been doing it ever since. And I never really stopped to examine, is this really the best toothpaste? Uh, and so I went back and examined every little uh, facet of my life. And by the way, I, I now brush with Tom's toothpaste 
because uh, they have a delicious apricot toothpaste, which is like, it's like eating an apricot tart every night. And uh, it's like eating it, uh, something they'd serve at Chez Panisse in Berkeley, you know, like it's just, I, I can't recommend it enough. It changed my life because I hate the taste of mint and I never really focused on it. And, you know, you, 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 you start to pay attention to the little details and it'll, it'll change your life. Well, do we have anybody who has any questions here, or we can keep on going? We can. This guy. Yeah, we have a question back here. Hi, I was just going to ask, um, what what came first, being a guinea pig or being a writer? Well, I uh, I I had a job I, uh, out of college. I got I was a major in philosophy, and there weren't a lot of jobs at Fortune 500 companies that were being offered to philosophers. No uh, in-house philosophers. So. Uh, the only thing I could sort of do was was put a sentence together. So I became a writer, and uh, and I got a, a job at Entertainment Weekly magazine. And one of the assignments that w I had was that I uh, they came out with a new Lazy Boy. That was the ultimate Lazy Boy, uh, the best Lazy Boy ever made in history. It had a vibrating butt massager, and it had a refrigerator, and everything but a toilet. Uh, and and so uh, my assignment was sort of to push the bounds of leisure to their utmost and spend 24 hours in this Lazy Boy and, and see what happened. Uh, and so that's what I did. And actually, it was not the most fascinating experiment <laughs> I've ever done. It was basically, I watched a lot of TV and had a good time. But uh, it, it gave me an insight into the way uh, that what, what you can do with this type of journalism when you try things out, when you immerse yourself. In. And I'd always been a fan of George Plimpton, who, uh, as you may know, wrote books about he uh, he he tried out you know for professional football uh, and professional baseball. He got himself uh, smacked in the face by a professional boxer. So that's what I try to do, but uh, without the getting smacked in the face part. Do we have any others here? All right. Uh, hi. Have you ever considered writing any fiction, like a novel or something? I I have. Uh, considered it but only briefly just because uh to me i mean i love uh reality is so there's so many fascinating aspects to reality that i want to explore and uh so it, it just comes more naturally to me than than making things up so uh so i've stuck with non-fiction and uh you know, I love it because it's like going to school every day and learning about this fascinating new topic. Uh, uh, like, I, I for this book, I learned about behavioral economics, which is this uh, the science of decision making. And uh, you know, I think it is it's uh, it changed the way I looked at the world. And I'm just I can't believe that I was lucky enough that I got to immerse myself in this for a month, and you know, and hopefully get paid for it. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Did any of the experiments go horribly wrong to the point where you were in danger or, you know, your life was threatened or something like that? <laughs> uh, probably the closest was the, uh, the radical honesty when, uh, you know, I would tell people things and they wanted to uh, throw drinks in my face. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, another one. I mean... Uh, I did one where I was 
one of the most nervous that I, uh, I was very, very nervous that something would go wrong in this experiment I did uh, at Entertainment Weekly. One of the first ones I tried was that uh, this movie called Shine came out uh, about 10 years ago. And that one of the actors in the movie looks exactly like me. Especially, I used to have long hair and big, thick glasses. It was not a good look. Uh, the actor's name was Noah Taylor, and he played the, the main character as an adolescent. He played him uh, sort of as a, you know, a 20-year-old. And, uh, and, and the movie got rave critical reviews and, and uh, nominated for the Oscars. And... I found out that he was not going to the Oscars, so I decided well, I wanted to see what it would be like to be a movie star, so I would go in his stead. And it was, you know, I was incredibly nervous that it wouldn't be, uh, that, that uh, it wouldn't work, that people would be like, who are you? But, but quite the opposite. It was amazing. You know, people were running up to me and asking for autographs. I did interviews with TV and radio. Uh, it was one of the most wonderful nights of my life. And, and the problem was I became, uh, just like with, the, with uh, taking on the role of a beautiful woman uh, that, that Travis mentioned, I sort of, my ego uh, ballooned and I sort of started to believe the hype. And, uh, and I turned into this cocky bastard for, uh, for a few hours. So... When uh, the experiment was over, you know, I sort of came back down to earth. But I, it was really an insight into how dangerous fame can be, you know. I, it, it, it'll just mess with your head. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit um, if anyone wants to. Or do, do we have another question here? Oh, sure. Yours are more important than mine. Oh, asking a question seemed like a better idea before there was a mic. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering two things. Uh, one, how do you convince your editors, or in the beginning, how did you convince your editors that doing this was a good idea, just experiments in general? And two, um, your articles are really funny, and I was wondering if the comedy is just natural with your style, or if you make like a conscious effort, like, okay, a joke has to come here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how... Uh I convinced my editors, um, I guess, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're willing to really humiliate your, yourself, then uh, I think sometimes they're willing to print it because interesting things will happen. So, uh, you know, if nothing interesting happened, then I, I do abandon the project. Uh, I mean, there have been ones that I wanted to do. There's this one I wanted to do where I, uh, I would read uh, people's faces uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Lie to Me on Fox, where this it's about this cop who can read people's minds by looking at their at their faces, and it's actually based on a, a, a real scientist, not a quack, a real scientist who who has this system for analyzing faces, and he's a fascinating man. I went out to lunch with him. It was horrible because I always felt like he's he knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm thinking, but it was. Uh, it turned out that it would be too hard. It would take you know years and years to master this system. So I, I felt I couldn't really do it, uh, you know, unless I, I basically quit all other aspects of my life. So uh, so yeah, they don't always work out. And as for the comedy, uh, I mean, I feel that uh, what's nice is that that is to me it's almost uh, just 
flows naturally out of the topics because the topics are so interesting and lend themselves to so much comedy. It's like, I don't have to do all that much work. You know, they, they sort of provide the material and it's just honing it down. The, my favorite, and I think, is as far as comedy goes, uh, essay was about uh, George Washington's rules to live by. And I was wondering if you could just tell us just a little bit about the, the genesis of how you, how you lived life as George Washington for, or in the mode of George Washington for a month. Sure, yeah. Well, that one came about, uh, that one came about because we were watching, my wife and I were watching the great ad documentary, on, I mean, not documentary, <laughs> the great uh, miniseries on HBO about John Adams. And, uh, and I really, uh, I'd always dismissed George Washington as, as, as the most boring of the founding fathers. But, but that made me want to take a second look at him. And he, he is, he is a fascinating, fascinating man. And, uh, and when he was a kid, he, not a kid, a teen, he wrote a list of 110 rules of life. Uh, and they're sort of uh, um, an etiquette guide and how to be a better person. And I decided that I would see if I could become a better person like George Washington. And they are, they're fascinating because they, they run the gamut. You know, some of them are what you would expect, like, uh, uh, you know, be, always be uh, considerate of others, always be thinking about other people's reactions. But some of them you would not expect. Rule number two, the very second rule is do not adjust your private parts in public. So that was uh, from the founder of our country, which I suppose is wise advice. You know, he became a president, so obviously it worked for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, following these rules, it, uh, I, you know, it, it made me, it made me realize we do really live in an uncivil world. Uh, but it also made me realize he lived in an uncivil world, too. I don't think uh, we're that much worse off than, than, than they were back then. You know, they had, we have internet trolls, but uh, they had these, they, they had, uh, you know, uh, the journalists who would uh, expose their lives like, they had tabloid journalists just as bad, if not worse, than us. You know, the Thomas Jefferson's affair with Sally Hemings was was exposed by this uh, this you know tenacious tabloid journalist, and uh, uh, and and Thomas Jefferson himself was a you know he's an amazing man in some ways, but he's also a bit of a sleazeball in others. He hired a journalist to dig up dirt on John Adams, so. Uh, and you know it's uh, it's interesting to see that that times are equally uncivil but george washington really did seem to be uh one of the few exceptions to the rule he really did seem to be uh to to be to resist the temptation to to trash talk and to to look at the negative and to uh to be a machiavelli i mean he's a he's a remarkable man in that way i absolutely loved that one it gave me a whole new respect for George Washington, though guys had never thought about him in the past. But so you live with all these these rules. Do you ever find it hard to to break away from the rules after the experiment is done? Like if you have the the Bible and George Washington and radical honesty and everything, is there anything <laughs> that that sticks a little too too much with you? I do. I find there's always a little bit of depression, postpartum depression when the when a project ends. You know, I 
I love having a, a, a structured way of life. And, and I, I especially felt that during the Bible book. You know, after the Bible book, I had, I had no rules. And it was like, um, you know, I'd been living a very disciplined life. And suddenly, all these freedoms opened up to me. You know, I could read People magazine. It was crazy. Uh, I could, you know... Uh, uh, touch, uh, you know, a, a woman without having to worry where she was in her cycle. It was, uh, it was nuts. And, uh, and there was something liberating about it, but it was also overwhelming. I felt like uh, I had too much choice, and it gave me a little insight into how uh, there is something very uh, appealing about freedom from choice, you know, having restricted options. And there are psychological studies to back this up, that we are happier when we have fewer choices. You know, the, if you go into a grocery store and, and see, you know, 800 different types of jams and jellies, uh, it can be overwhelming. So they've done studies that find that people are actually happier when you only give them two or three uh, types of jam to choose from. So, uh, yeah, it can be hard. The, the transition back can be bumpy. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it can. You put yourself in, into these things pretty deep. So is there anything, you know, when we're, uh, we're talking about the audiobook here, is there, what, what do you expect everyone to, to, to get out of this? What are they going to, what's the experience going to be like for them? Do you have any? Of the audiobook? Yeah, or just reading the book, but listening to it, you know, trying not to crash their car, I assume, but. <laughs> well, that would, yes, I, I hope they don't, although it would be a compliment if they did. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, hopefully I tried to make uh, the essays uh, entertaining, but uh, I also wanted to make them sort of a crash course in these, in these different topics. So, uh, you know, you get a little history of marriage, you get a little uh, psychology, you get a, uh, a smattering of... Uh, uh, public nudity that always helps uh so uh so i think that that would be what uh, i want people to take away public nudity is the only cell that you need to make i'm sure <laughs> i don't know well you don't see mary louise parker's pictures that's the problem uh we i did uh, obtain the rights to my my picture so you see that but but there's nothing really there are no naughty bits really exposed so you don't have to worry too much I, I just remember you, your uh, photographer had a, a fun euphemism for your naughty bits, but we could save that for the book. <laughs> um, so are there any other questions that anybody has here? Are we, can we? What's your, uh, your, your next year-long experiment, or do you, are you, do you have one set yet? I do. I, I think I'm going to end... Uh, my uh, trilogy. I, I see my uh, the encyclopedia book and the Bible book as two parts to a trilogy, uh, because they were about improving the mind, and then the uh, uh, and then the Bible book was about improving my spirit. And so I want to end that by trying to radically improve my body. So I'm trying to become the healthiest person alive, uh, and uh, I haven't quite mastered it as you might tell but uh i actually should have worn the shoes today i've i found these there's a movement of people who believe that we should be walking around barefoot that that's the best thing for our for our feet uh and since my my quest is to, to be incredibly healthy from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet i've been concentrating on my feet for the last uh, few days and i got these amazing 
shoes called Vibram shoes. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're hilarious. They look like a glove for your feet, and they are uh, they have little uh, pockets for each of the toes, and they look absolutely absurd. But it's great. You feel like you're walking around. Uh, totally barefoot and you can walk outside with these things and uh you know it's almost like the whole world is your uh is your living room because it's like you know you're (laughs) you're walking around barefoot on the streets of new york so so that's the type of thing I'm, i'm trying to do in addition to radically changing my diet and uh and and my exercise routine i i i i love the concept um So, I mean, I think, uh, does anybody else have any questions too? We've got... Um, Beyond writing another book, have you thought of um, translating these to for the screen? Like any, maybe dramatizations or like a reality TV programming or anything of the sort? Well, some of them have been optioned for uh, movies. Uh, My Outsourced Life was optioned for a movie. Uh, So I think they're working on a script. the uh, the year of living biblically was also optioned for a movie, uh, and uh, so that's in development. Whatever that means, uh, we'll see if that ever happens. They did attach an actor to play me. It wasn't someone I had predicted, but uh, it could be interesting. We'll see what happens. Uh, his name is Marlon Wayans. So uh, <laughs> didn't see that one coming. But uh, but uh, but that's uh, you know who knows what'll happen. But uh, but I'm interested to see. Well, great. I I if we don't have any more questions here or anything, I think we had a I've had a pretty fun little chat here. Um, so again, you know, book, audio book is coming out along with the book. And do you know what the dates are out? Or are we? Uh, I think we're officially oh, out today. Out, I yes. think today, September eighth, is the official publication date. All right. Well, it's wonderful to see you again and talk to you again, AJ. Thank you, Travis. I had a great time the first time around. This time I actually got to talk a little bit out loud. (laughs) I'm sorry Uh, I monopolized it the first time. It's all about you anyway. (laughs) Uh, So, Well, thank you all for coming so much, and uh, it was great to talk to you. This episode of Meet the Author was produced by iTunes and the Apple Store in New York's Soho District. To purchase the audiobook or listen to more episodes in the series, click the link below or search for Meet the Author in the iTunes Store.